All right. Before we talk about fighting, uh, I forgot that I needed to remember to talk about forgiveness. <laughs> um, maybe that works out. I don't know. So uh, you'll see up here in the front, uh, there's this mural that is going to be worked on over the course of, I don't know, the rest of March, essentially. And so it's about forgiveness. You probably can't see it online. Sorry, you had to come in person with us. But here you'll see it, and it's a paint by numbers, all right? So if you're like, I don't know what I'm painting or how to paint, don't worry about it. All you got to do is pick up a brush, look at a number, and fill in the blank. That's just that easy. Even I could do it. Uh, and so what we're encouraging is families or individuals, whoever wants to take time to fill this out, to take time during the month of March to take a little bit section at a time each week and work on filling this whole picture out uh, of forgiveness here at Faith. And so it's something that we're working through in Faith Kids this month. And so we wanted to incorporate the whole church in a way that would be engaging on your level. And so right here set up for this morning. It'll move into the cafe probably next week and the rest of March. But anytime you want to paint, feel free to get up and go paint right? uh, and, and continue to make this thing look, uh, look pretty cool. So by the time we get to the end of March, we'll show it off to everybody and, and celebrate everybody's working on forgiveness one little number at a time. All right. So that's forgiveness. Let's talk about fighting, all right? So uh, who's, who's had an argument or fought with someone at least once in your life, and what do you want to tell us about it? Go ahead, Dawn. <laughs> never, never, says Dave. <laughs> uh, I figured I'd be the first, anyhow. Um, uh, just this morning, I had a really, really discussion with my mother. As everybody should know, she's a Jehovah Witness. And I told her we were breaking bread this day, today. She's told me that... They only should be breaking bread. We only should be breaking bread once a year, and that's on Easter for the girl, Jesus' resurrection. And she was trying to convince me that we were all wrong. Our, our um, beliefs are, are false. And so I tried my best to bite my tongue, but sometimes <laughs> it's kind of hard. <laughs> no doubt. Thank you for sharing. That's awesome. Appreciate that. Um, Carrie's got one back when you're done. Does arguing <coughs> consider fighting? Yeah. Yeah, my children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ain't gonna narrow it down. Just okay. Um, I, I had four sisters, so it was always. But the one that was closest to me, we had one really bad fight, and it was like she did something to me, and then I did something to her, and it was like really extreme. Like we were like back and forth, just days and days of fighting, Ooh. and it ended up in a knockdown, dragout physical fight wow um thankfully we all grow up and we can deal with things a little bit easier because my sister's still difficult but sure. we can we can deal with it better you hadn't fist fought with her lately okay that's good <laughs> all, right. all right carrie's got one in the back and then we'll keep working our way around so i had a thought um when we were younger we never really physically fought but our brothers wrestled a lot and every once in a while left on and i tried to wrestle um, she would start kicking my shins. So, so whenever that happened, I just decided that I was never, ever going to fight with her because I didn't really like getting my shins kicked. <laughs> so it was an effective tactic there, Dawn. You just... Little meek and mild Dawn. <laughs> a shin kicker. <laughs> All right. Anybody else? Here we go. Dave's got one. And Rick, you can work your way or come back. That's fine. This is much easier. All right. Good. Is it? Get your exercise for yeah. the day. I was going to relate to what Chris had to say because it was always me and my brother. And it got to the point where since a young age, he would always tackle me. One time it resulted in like a massive injury with dislocating my hip. Mm. Um, but it came down to pretty heavy blows, bloody, bloody noses, mm -hmm. uh, a couple broken fingers. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're best friends now. <laughs> Rick over here. 
Yeah, I got a sister who's uh, 22 months younger than me, so we were always fighting. Oh yes. When you're young, but the one that stuck out is we were. I was probably seven and she was six, and we were. We when we'd argue, we'd actually get fighting. And this one time, I was chasing her, and she ran, and she jumped on a recliner. Mm -hmm. And of course, I jumped after. Well, she hit the back of the recliner. The foot came up, caught me right in the nose. Oh. And so after that, I decided to turn to verbal arguing. Nobody <laughs> <laughs> wants to get hurt. All right. Anyone else? Any arguments or fights you've ever been in that you want to share? <laughs> All right. Awesome. Very cool. All right. Thanks for sharing those. I appreciate that. Uh, like many of you, I have a, I have a sibling story. That <laughs> seems to be a common theme today. Uh, who knows? You fought with your siblings. All right. Yeah. So uh, I mentioned a few times before that, that I'm an only child, or at least I was in the beginning, uh, until my mom, who had divorced from my dad, got remarried, and my stepdad had two daughters. So I went from the only child to the youngest of three. And my uh, one stepsister was about six months older than me, and the other was about three to four years older than me. And uh, living with them was something that I didn't always handle graciously, especially as we got older into teenage years. And I remember this one time, uh, among many other times, this is just one time, that something happened. I don't even remember what happened, what the argument was over, what, we, what had started this. But me and my oldest stepsister, we just got into it this day, right? And before long, it wasn't a verbal thing. It was like y'all discussed, right? We were wrestling around back and forth. And, and I don't advocate hitting girls, but I, I, we were wrestling. We were grabbing hold of one another and, and, and not, not in a good way. And uh, so it was, it was a pretty violent encounter. Now, I was, I was a preteen. I was like 12 and then she was, again, three or four years older. So she, she had some size. She had some weight on me, all right? She wasn't a big girl, all right? Let me clarify if she's watching. I don't think she is, but if she is. Um, but I've always been pretty, or I was, I'm not now, I was pretty wiry uh, and, and not very strong. And so I always kind of used kind of like, you know, hit and move type of tactics, right, on her. But she grabbed hold of me at the end of it, and she just pinned me down uh, to the ground. And it was, I just couldn't move. I couldn't move my arms, my legs. It was just, I was just stuck. Like this movable force that was on top of me. And um, the, the, it's just, it was just amazing. As I was sitting there, I was so mad. I remember being so frustrated at being, whatever the argument was over about losing the fight then, and about pinned down so I couldn't even do anything about it. I said, man, if, if my eyes could have shot laser beams, uh, she would not be alive right now. She would have been toast, right? I'm so grateful that God didn't give us that power, right? So uh, it's crazy though. I don't even remember what we were fighting about. But we're into it, and it was intense, right? And, and uh, on that day, she was just my mortal enemy. And we eventually patched things up and, and had a good relationship that somehow improved remarkably once she moved out. But it was just this thing where at the moment, it was just really bad. We were fighting like cats and dogs, right? So today, we're going to talk about fighting. We're going to talk about fighting. Uh, but before we get into breaking this piece down as we look, wrap up this series on this last part of Ephesians and he, Paul talks about fighting, I want us to read it together uh, and read it aloud because that's what have happened in this context is that in the church they would have read it out loud and they would have discussed it together uh, after the letter was delivered. And so we're going to do that today as we recreate and honor that practice. And I just remember that I didn't check and follow up. Do you, are you guys, uh, one of you, who, you, have you fought over who's going to read it? Okay, great. Um, Oh, that's right. Yvonne, Yvonne told her. Okay, good. So Anna's going to read it aloud to us this morning. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. We're just going to listen uh, as she reads that aloud. Oh, I'm sorry. Can we run her a mic back? Um, thank you. I just continually forget that part. 
just so online they can hear you, and that's the only reason, really. Otherwise, they have to stare at me while somebody else talks they can't hear, and it seems really weird online, so. <laughs> okay, chapter six. six verse six. There you go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Awesome. Thank you so much. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, we're going to break this down together uh, as we look into how in the world do we fight. First thing we have to notice here, we're going to look at it, Ephesians 6, 10, and 11. We're going to read this aloud uh, as we discover that you've got to know you're in a fight, all right? So let's look, Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11, Paul says this, you just read it very eloquently, I want to restate it this way. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that y'all may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil or slanderer. That's what the word means there. So Paul begins to wrap up this, this whole letter. He's getting to the end of this letter here with his final call to these people that he's writing to, these new humans in Christ. And he says, have strength, right? Now, it's this interesting change that he makes here at the end of the letter. From the beginning till now, he's been talking about how in Christ they've been recreated. They're made new. They're charged to live this new life that's defined by love, by wisdom, uh, to not live as they once did, by practicing submission to one another, because being new humans requires living this way in all things, right? And then when you read through all that letter and you listen to being loving and having wisdom and practicing submission, you're like, oh man, those are really passive things, right? And so uh, when Paul gets to the end, the tone seems to shift. It's like, be strong. We're the strength of the Lord, right? Uh, to be filled with the power and strength of Christ. But what he's doing, he's picking up this undercurrent that he's been writing about the whole time. If you remember back in chapter one, he started off with this, really. He said that in Christ, he had overcome. Christ had overcome death. He had overcome rulers. He had overcome division, hate, and anger, and lies, and, and deceit, and corruption. And he is ruling with power and authority over everything in heaven and on earth, in both places. And so Paul here brings the point home, that as new people living together on this new humanity, we're to remember that in Christ, we are strong together, and that can, to continue in that strength. 
Matter of fact, he then also echoes chapter 2, where he said essentially the same thing, right? He said, but God, I don't have this up for you, you just have to listen. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he says this, he says, and then he raised us up with him, with Jesus, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, so the strength that we have that Paul is calling on here isn't natural. It's supernatural strength. And it comes from realizing and remembering that just as Jesus conquered death and was raised up in authority over power in all things, right? So we who are in him are given that same power to co-rule with him. And that strength isn't something that we, uh, or sorry, that strength is rather something we have to constantly be, be filled up with. We said in chapter 3, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So we have to remember where our strength comes from, right? That in Christ we have this rule and power and authority, and that it's something we need to constantly be refilled by the spirit of God, right? So he's reminding them and us, anybody who identifies with Jesus anyway, that strength is vital because like it or not, we're in a fight. We're in a fight. When your paycheck isn't enough to cover the cost of inflation, you're in a fight, right? When you catch somebody that's having a bad day, and maybe you are too, <laughs> you're in a fight. Whenever you and your spouse maybe aren't on the same page, guess what? You're in a fight. Whenever your kids are acting the fool, you're in a fight, right? Whenever you see homelessness, addiction, or depression, or anxiety, or stress, or, or, and you see people in isolation around you, or maybe yourself are isolated, you realize that you're in a fight at that moment. You see, what we understand, I think, naturally, it doesn't take very long if you've ever been uh, around this world enough to know that life isn't easy, is it? Anybody here experience an easy life? I want yours if you have. We can trade. All right. Life's hard. Life is hard. And full of some incredible difficulties, right? And, and if you come to Jesus to make your life comfortable and, and easier, I suggest you go to somebody else because you're not going to find it there. Because living as new humans together isn't, in Christ isn't easy. It isn't for the weak. It isn't for the lazy. It isn't for the passive. If you're in that mindset that say, man, I'm just going to come to Jesus and he's going to make life easier for me or more comfortable for me or give me all these things, this isn't for you. We have to change our mindset. We have to switch up what we're thinking because a carefree or pain-free easy life isn't something that exists. And the ultimate goal of life isn't tranquility or happiness or even peace, at least not in the way that we think it is. Christ, it says, gives us peace, but it's found in the midst of a struggle. It's biblical peace, which is shalom in Hebrew, which means wholeness, right? So uh, that's not a passive thing. It's an active, it's an alert, it's a filled by the spirit thing, being ready and willing and able to fight against the things that are fighting against you on a day-to-day basis. And if you're not willing to draw on the strength of the Lord and fight, you will fail and you will fall. Now, it's not enough to know you're in a fight, but you have to know who you're fighting against, right? That's a very important thing. If, if, how you're fighting, or rather who you're fighting, determines how you fight, determines the tactics and strategies that you're going to use to win the fight, right? I was thinking about Man Anthony and their awesome wrestling program, right? There's just traditions uh, of this awesome wrestling they do, and they're always competing and doing a great job of winning in those things. And when those wrestlers step on the mat, they know who their opponent is, right? And they know the rules 
that are set up to fight. They know how to win. Now, if you take one of them off the mat and into the street and they wrestle like they're still in the, on the mat with, other opponent, with their regular opponents and they fought by those rules, they're going to get smashed, right? Because street fighting is not the same as wrestling inside of a gym, right? It's two different things. That's not to say they're not competent wrestlers, but they can't just wrestle somebody to get out to the ground in a street fight, right? They're going to get smashed. You see, we look at our money problems and we think, oh, the solution is more money. We look at our marriage problems and we think, well, maybe we need counseling or maybe we need to separate. Now, we, we, we argue with our kids and say, if they just listen to us, everything would be okay, right? We see homelessness and think a house will fix that. We see addiction and say, just remove the substance and the problem will go away. And while I'm not saying that some of these solutions won't work, what I am saying is the problem that we face, that we fight against, is much bigger than any of those things. We're not fighting our budget. We're not fighting our spouse. We're not fighting our kids. We're not fighting people at work or church or in the community. Paul says we're fighting this. It's Ephesians 6, 12. It's going to be up on the screen. He says, for we do not. You're in a fight. Be strong. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, the enemy or opponent of God's people is never another human or purely human institution. We want it to be. We want it to be that, but it's not. Our fight is much bigger than one person, one party, one corporation, one ideology. And what happens is we buy into this fallacy that it is, where you say, man, I, I'm raised and I see whatever I see is, is real, right? The material world is all there is. If you can see it, smell it, touch it, that's all that exists, right? And if you buy fully into that concept, in that type of world, there is, there is nothing but human enemies. If all you believe is that you see, smell, and touch is what's real in this world, then the only thing you can fight against is other humans because there's nobody else to blame for it, all right? Nobody else to blame without a realization, or rather maybe a, a revelation, that there's a much bigger, broader reality at play, World War III really is always just around the corner because we're always going to be fighting against one another. This is why Paul would also say that the cross is foolishness to those outside of Christ. And what he meant in one sense by that is how can Jesus willingly suffer on the cross? How can he take the beating? How can he take the insults and the shame and the pain and, and the reality of death and sin fully onto himself and yet say, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing? How can Paul preach the good news of Jesus to communities and be run out of those same communities he's preaching to, to be stoned nearly to death, to be charged and put into prison, and yet pick himself up and keep going out day after day and doing that same activity that puts him in those situations and places. Because the fight isn't against them. It's for them. You see, we see people who disagree with us. We see people who push different ideologies and worldviews than us and may even seek us harm. And we either think we need to run away from them or we need to stand up to them. Both Jesus and Paul point us to the truth here, though. They, whoever they are in your mind, if they're another fellow human, are not the enemy. They're captive to the enemy. They're not the enemy. They are captive to the enemy just as we all were <laughs> at one point 
before we responded to the rescuing act of Jesus. Both Jesus and Paul clarify that our real enemy is the powers behind the people. He says that we are to stand against the schemes of the slanderer or the devil in verse 11. He goes on and he lists a lot longer powers because if you just think, oh, it's just the devil and that's one big problem or whatever, there's a lot more going on in this world than that very reductionist sense. There's a whole lot happening around here. And Paul goes on to list powers that are working either to hold people captive or to sow seeds of division and strife among the new humanity, among the church, so that we're weakened for the fight. Now, you may be thinking, how can I fight against things I can't see or reach places that, are, that I can't reach that seem far away? How can I do that? First of all, I want to remind you that you fight against things you can't see all the time, all right? So if you're ever like, I just does not make sense. Anytime you argue for something you believe in or you're, you're fighting with ideas, right? You're fighting with your idea of what's right compared to someone else's idea of what's right. You can't see an idea. Last time I checked, anybody can see an idea? I haven't seen one lately, all right? Uh, I rarely have them. <laughs> you write it down, right? Yeah, if you can't, it's kind of up there somewhere and somewhere around here, right? So you're fighting against idea and idea. You can't see those things. You're not physically engaged in combat, but guess what? You can tell when you win or lose, right? Yeah, husbands, yes. All right, all right. or parents, whatever. You throw any label in there you want. Now, transfer that philosophical concept to the spiritual. We're fighting against things we can't see all the time. That happens all the time. Secondly, when we're rescued by Jesus and we're recreated as new humans in him, we're awakened to the, the reality that the spiritual world, the supernatural world, isn't someplace up there or down there. It's actually right here. Now, some of you, if you weren't here a few weeks ago when we talked about this in the first place, because Paul, this is not the first time Paul's mentioned powers, you may be like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> but the reality is that the supernatural, the spiritual, isn't some faraway place. It's a, it's a dimension that operates right alongside our current one. And there's powers operating in it that influence the world we live in on a daily, minute-by-minute basis. And we who are in Christ are no longer captive to those powers, but we have authority and we have strength over them. We just have to exercise that. So anytime you see addiction, there's powers behind that to fight against it. It's not just a substance abuse problem. It's not just someone who's struggling problem. There's powers influencing person behind that problem. Anytime you see generational poverty, it's not just because somebody had a, pro, a broke grandma and they passed that brokenness down to somebody else. No, there's powers behind the poverty. Anytime you see a marriage on the rocks, it's not just two people who can't get along. There's powers fighting against that marriage. Now, I don't want you to misconstrue me or misconstrue me here. I'm not attempting to diminish human responsibility or the effect and result of our choices. Those are very real. But to reduce it to just to, to just reduce it to our problem and our results of our, our issues is to deny reality from a biblical perspective anyway. So what we should be doing is realizing we're in a fight against things we can't see. They're, the people we see are not the enemies, they're captive to it. So we should feed the hungry and pray against the powers that hold them in cycles of hunger. We should call out those who are greedy and manipulative while fighting against the powers that influence and motivate that behavior. Both are going on. It's not either or, it's both. So we have to realize we're in a fight. We have to realize 
we have to know who our opponent is so we fight the right way. And then we have to understand that we have tools and equipment to fight with. Most of us have probably heard the expression, don't bring a knife to a gunfight, right? Anybody heard that expression? Yeah. That's a good one, by the way, if you've ever been in a gunfight, <laughs> right? Don't bring a knife. But what we had to realize is the same, same thing happens here, right? If, if the ultimate enemy isn't physical, we can't punch it, right? We can't stab it. We can't even shoot it, right? We can't even argue with it. We can't reason with it. We can't buy it. None of those things are applicable in this fight that we're engaged in. So what do we do? What do we do? Thankfully, Paul helps us out here, right? It's Ephesians 6, chapter, or verses 13 through 20. It's up on the screen. He says, here's what you're going to do. You have to know you're in a fight. You have to know how to fight or what you're fighting against. Now you've got to fight with these sets of abilities, skills, equipment. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that y'all may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for y'all's feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which y'all can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, between the earlier verses we've already read, 10 through 13, or 10 through 12, and these verses, Paul uses the word stand four times. And one of those is withstand, which in the Greek means to stand against. So the first thing we have to do when you're fighting the enemy is you have to adopt a different posture. You have to adopt a different posture. If you've ever been in a real fight, and some of you describe one today, <laughs> if you've ever been in a real fight, or maybe you've just seen one on TV, and you know the person that's standing around flat-footed or just chilling out in the corner, you know, it's someone who has no solid base, they're the first ones to get knocked on their butt, right? That's how that works. Because they don't even know a fight's going on. Before, as the fight's breaking out, they don't realize it, and they're out of the fight before the fight's even really started, Right? Paul calls out here. He says, stand up. Not literally. You don't have to stand up. Right? Get ready. Right? Get ready for the fight. Spread your feet apart. Pick up your hands and get ready to get in the fight. Too often we're standing around flat-footed and saying, well, I don't know why my marriage is struggling. I don't know why my budget can't meet the needs every month. I don't know why there's so much issues in my life that I can't overcome. I don't know why our community is struggling with so many things. And you realize what you're doing. You're standing flat-footed and you're in a fight just getting punched repeatedly over and over and over again on a daily basis and wondering what's going on. Well, you're in a fight. So get your hands up and get ready to fight. Living with heaven on earth now, guess what? It means constantly butting up against hell. That's what that means. Again, that's why I said, if you come to Jesus and say, make it easy for me, Jesus, I'll just take away all my struggles, Jesus. Jesus is going to say, no, I'm not doing that for you. What I'm doing is I'm equipping you to fight against the things that are fighting against you. And if you think you can just passively take it, then you're going to lose each and every single day without fail. Get ready. Hold the line. Resist. Fight back is what he's saying, because there is no neutral ground. You're either fighting or being fought against. So get ready. Adopt a fighting posture. The next thing he says is that you have to put on the armor of God. Now, Paul here, who's such a master 
at pulling these things together. He's pulling from two different places. One, he's talking about the typical Roman uh, soldier of his day, which would have had a regular set of armor on, which everybody writing, uh, listening to this, this letter in Ephesus, which was ancient Rome, uh, Greco-Roman world, would have instantly recognized. They'd see the soldiers day to day, and they'd say, I, I recognize the armor, and that's what it looks like. The other that he's pulling on is, is the Old Testament picture of the armor of the Messiah, of the anointed king in the Old Testament one who would come and conquer his enemies. Now, I can't get into all that this morning because it's a way deeper than we got time for today. I will encourage, if you want to full, fill that picture up in your mind and get a better idea of what I'm talking about or what Paul's really talking about, it's in Isaiah. Isaiah 11, verse 5. Isaiah 52, verse 7. Isaiah 59, 16, and 17. You'll see that armor of God isn't just something Paul conjured up out of his mind. He's actually looking at Jesus in the Old Testament in Isaiah and saying that is, the, that is the, the God who has come in in full armor, ready to fight against the ca- uh, captors and free the captives. That's what he's talking about. Now, Paul uses these images and concepts from Isaiah to show the church, these people he's writing to us today, that if the armor and weapons used by Christ were good enough and sufficient for victory, then they should be good enough for us. That's what, we, that's what he's driving at in this analogy, this metaphor. And he goes on to list each piece of what this looks like. He says you're to put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. I'm going to briefly, I can't dive too deep, but I'm going to briefly break down each of these. Here's the thing. As influential and seemingly overpowering as the enemy is that we fight against, the powers that we can't see, that we struggle against, the reality is they've already lost. All right? Here's the thing. Paul says it earlier, you see it in the Gospels, that that Christ has already won. In the cross and the resurrection, that Jesus has conquered these powers that we can't see, and he's ruling over authority in them. So we're fighting against a weakened but not completely defeated enemy. They're still there if we're just doing mop-up duty at this point, right? So the tactic of an enemy who's already lost but still has to continue to fight through to the end is one of deception. It's a tactic of subterfuge, right? It's lies, it's deceit. So why Paul says first, I believe, leading off with the belt of truth is the only way to defeat a lie is to live and tell the truth, is to know the truth, first and foremost. And unlike many other spiritual or religious systems, Jesus' followers believe that truth isn't a concept. Maybe you just let that sink in. If you, if you believe the God of the Bible and, and Jesus, the, the living Christ who's been resurrected, truth isn't a concept. Truth isn't an idea you learn. Truth is a person. Paul said earlier in this letter, he said, truth is in Jesus. Reality, the full concept of it, is in a person. And being a Jesus follower isn't about arranging ideas in a certain order in your head that makes sense of things. It's about recognizing and responding to a person who brought new creation in existence through his life, death, and resurrection. So you have to know Jesus know the truth. So you defeat the lies of the enemy. You have to not just know it. You have to trust in the truth and deepen your relationship with him through reading his word, through listening to him in prayer, through uh, just spending time with him day in and day out, soaking up the truth. Because the only way you can tell a lie is a lie is if you know what the truth is. Now, by the way, there's a few different understandings as to why Paul uses the word uh, belt in this armor as a metaphor for truth. 
then um, the Greek and in the earlier translations, there was this phrase that's been translated that we've, we've done something different with that used to say, gird up your loins with the truth. If you ever read like a King James version or one of those older versions, maybe you'll see this phrase and nobody, have you ever heard anybody say, gird up your loins? <laughs> nobody says that. <laughs> that's, that's so weird. Gird up your loins. All right. If you said it, Dave, of course you have. All right. <laughs> Most people, <laughs> most people don't say, gird up your loins, but that's what Paul's saying. Gird up your loins with the truth. Now, there's a, again a few different understandings of this, but in ancient times, uh, this really helped me. In ancient times, that were typically referred to a cloth they would wrap around their thighs like a form of underwear. Right? So uh, why I find this to be a helpful image for me is because I can imagine a soldier being caught off guard and fighting with underwear around his ankles. That's what I find, right? Uh, gird up your loins means pick up your stuff and get it wrapped up and get ready to fight, right? So put on the belt of truth so don't get caught in a lie and not have your underwear around your ankles uh, whenever you're trying to fight against the lies of the enemy, right? So that really helps me. Uh, just this typical belt across armor, that does nothing for me. The underwear, all about that. Anyway, um, so... He goes on, he says, put on the belt of truth, right? Know what the truth is, know the truth as a person in Jesus, and so you'll be able to recognize the lies of the enemy. He then says that you have to have a breastplate of righteousness because just to know the truth isn't enough, you have to live the truth out. That's what righteousness is, it's right living according to God's rules, okay? According to how God says is right living, not how we define it. So living out that truth defends us against the temptation to do things that we know we're not supposed to. And it calls us to action against the things that are wrong in God's eyes. So gird up your loins with the underwear of truth. <laughs> uh, put on the breastplate of righteousness and then the shoes of good news is what he says next. See, the typical Roman soldier would have uh, footwear on that would have spikes in the bottom, like uh, pretty sharp nails, almost like cleats, like today, just an ancient form of that. And they were designed that way to ensure that the soldiers had traction in slippery conditions, whether they're on the march, but particularly in, in the battleground, right? If they're in the line and in line with each other, they were going to hold their ground. If you're going to adopt a fighting stance, they're going to spread their feet apart and they need something to grip into the ground, right? And so the shoes would have spikes in them to help hold their ground, right? Shoes of the gospel here is a metaphor, though. It's not just about the shoes. It's a metaphor meaning to advance the good news of Christ into enemy territory, to see captives set free from their captors by declaring the good news of Jesus, of shalom, of forgiveness, of peace, of redemption, of unity with God and one another, and by doing so, tearing down the prison of the enemy, advancing with the shoes of the gospel of peace. Next thing he says you have to have is you have to have the shield of faith. This is my favorite because I think it really speaks to the whole of Paul's letter here. If you've had exposure to this text before up to this point, if you ever had any, anybody tell you or you listened to or maybe in passing heard about the armor of God, right? And maybe you're hearing me read through this and you heard Anna do a great job reading it earlier, right? And, and you're just listening. You think at this point, as most of us have done, you're personalizing it, right? You're thinking, okay, I got to be ready. Pastor's saying I got to be ready for a fight, right? And I got to put on the armor of God on me, right? I got to put my armor or God's armor on me. But there's three things working against that train of thought. First, Paul hasn't addressed an individual in this letter yet, okay? So if you're thinking he's talking to you, you're mistaken. He's talking to y'all. I've said this before. I'll clarify it. Y'all, you all together, right? He's speaking to the group as a whole. Second, every imperative verb in the Greek in this section is plural, meaning there isn't an individual armor set for each one of us. But what we have is one giant set of armor that fits over the whole group. 
That's the second thing. Three, the shield. The shield that Paul refers to. The typical Roman shield in Paul's day, now that event that changed over the years, but the typical Roman shield in Paul's day was made for battle formation, not individual combat, all right? So when we think about individual combat, maybe you played a video game. I love Assassin's Creed video games. They just a great job of recreating history, right? And so they have these shields. You think, oh man, the shield, the guy's going to stand up and he's going to throw his shield up for individual combat. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about a shield that was made for battle lines, battle lines. And in a world of swords and shields, the most effective battle tactic wasn't one-on-one combat. It was group combat with large uh, people, large groups of people huddle really close together so that the enemy couldn't find gaps through and you could press against, right? All right, so that's what it was designed to do. The unit was understood to be way stronger than the individual ever could be. So the shield was designed with that in mind. The handle was placed in such a way that there was, there was more of one side of the shield than there was of the other. All right? That seems counterintuitive if you're thinking, wow, I need a shield to protect my whole body. But the handle is designed so that part of you is going to be naturally exposed. Okay? Because the intent wasn't for you to fight by yourself. Okay? So the shield has, battle, so has some stuff exposed over here. Because in combat, he would, someone who's fighting would have their fellow soldier beside them. So that their brother's shield, which is longer on one side than the other would then cover their exposed side. Pretty cool, huh? I thought so. And as his shield covered the exposed side of his brother, it would keep carrying on. So if you imagine I have a shield, you have a shield, you're standing beside me, your shield covers me, my shield covers the next person, and so on and so forth all the way down the line. Now, here's the thing. Not one of us, using Paul's metaphor here, is so helpful. Not one of us fights alone or should be fighting alone but we fight alongside the other. Which is why the enemy uses lies and deception to break us apart. Because that makes you easy pickings, right? If you've ever hunted herds of animals or been, seen even a, a documentary, let's just use a documentary because maybe you haven't hunted herds of animals, but you're watching the lion track down the antelope or whatever animal they use on those nature shows that I love so much, and, and you'll see him track down. What does the lion, who does the lion get? Does he go after the one in the middle? Oh, you can answer me. Does the lion go after the one in the middle? No. Does the lion go after the one in the front? I mean, I, where does the lion get? He's getting the weakest. He's getting the ones that fell back off the pack, right? He's getting the ones, that's, that's the easy pickings, because he's not dumb. The lion's not going to work harder than he has to work. He's just going to take the one that's readily available, right? And so the enemy, our enemy, that we're fighting against the powers of this world aren't dumb either, and they're using lies and deception, and what they're going to do instead of coming against a whole church of people and say, man, we're going to break this, we're going to just come against this church and break it with overwhelming force. They don't have overwhelming force. They have lies and deceit. So the easiest way to defeat a unified force is to ununify it, is to divide it, is to create division, is to create it where uh, instead of having this shield that's protecting each other, now we have, we have a little gap in the line. Now we're a little further apart from each other. Now my shield can't cover you because you're too far away from me or I'm too far away from you. And so now we have this exposure where the enemy can come in and pick us off because we're not unified together. We're not interlocking our shields. We're not standing side by side, putting on the armor of God together. We're standing separately. This is why we need that shield of faith because in times of doubt, in times of temptation, which Paul calls the fiery arrows of the enemy in your life, if you have those moments of doubt and temptation in your life, my trust in Christ is here to strengthen and encourage you. And in times of doubt in my life, in temptation and struggles in my life, you are there to do the same for me. 
we are to cover one another in the shield of truth. No, sorry, in the shield of faith. To cover one another in the faithfulness of God and empower one another to keep up the fight. Got to keep going. He kibbles on, he says there's a helmet of salvation you need too. What's interesting about the helmet is that's the one thing you can't give yourself, right? Uh, it, the, the one thing that, gives us, that would give us a death blow, that blow to the head, is something you can't provide for yourself because salvation is a gift from Christ, which we wear proudly. Not because we've earned it, but because we cherish and hold assurance in his ability to save us in our time of need. He goes on to say you have to have a sword of the Spirit. And this is one of the last things he mentions. Now, the image here is of a Roman short sword, not a big long sword, so just kind of put that in your head. It was designed for close combat. So you imagine the battle line again. They're lining up. they got shields interlocking. They would advance the line with those hard cleats. They'd have the full armor on, including their helmet, so they get bashed in the head, and they're walking one step at a time together in unison. One, two, and they're advancing just slowly but surely towards the enemy. They get close enough. They put their shields back a little bit. They throw javelins to be able to take down as many as they can. They put the shields back up in light, tight formation, and they advance little by little. As soon as they get close enough, they're pulling their shields up just enough to the side so they can reach in and stab them from around. Now, if you're a guy like me, that excites me. I'm like, yeah, I want to stab something, right? I want to just take it out, right? If you're a guy, if you're a gal, you're like, why do we have to stab things, right? All right. But the sword of the spirit is there for a reason, right? Sword of the Spirit's there for a reason. We don't have a literal sword, thankfully, in some respects. We probably misused that. But Peter did in the Garden of Gethsemane, actually. All right? He lopped off somebody's ear, and Jesus said, what are you doing? We're not fighting that way. We don't have a literal sword. But we have one that cuts deeper and swifter and with more force than any sword any smith in this world could ever devise. We have the Word of God, the one that spoke the universe into existence, the one that divides truth from error, the one that tears down strongholds and sets people free. And we are to place it not just at our sides, but we're to place the word of the scripture, replace it deep in our hearts, ready to use it at a moment's notice to cut down the lies of the enemy and to set people free. Now, the last thing he mentions doesn't have a piece of armor attached to it, but serves to encompass all of them. He mentions stand four times, get your posture right. He ends up with the word prayer four times. He says pray in the spirit, which doesn't mean pray in a different language in this context. It means put yourself in a posture that engages us with God in a way that takes us beyond our immediate concerns. Be praying in the mode of God of all times because all of life, all of life, here's something that we don't rarely ever talk about. All of life is to be prayed, not just lived. Because we're drawing on strength that doesn't come from in here. We're drawing on strength that doesn't even come fully from one another. We're drawing on strength from the God who provides his armor to us as a group. And that requires connection to him. Not on a one-time basis, not when it's comfortable or convenient for you, but on a constant basis. Because guess what? The enemy isn't waiting for you to be ready to fight. <laughs> He's not waiting to say, oh, yeah, you know what? Let me wait till they get that whole set of armor on because, you know, man, I got, you know, I got all the time in the world. No, he's fighting whether you're ready or not. And so we have to be praying all times, all of life. And that constant state of prayer makes sure that we're always ready and alert and it makes sure that we're ready to step up to pray not just over our own lives, but for each other. I was contacted this morning. I had a pastor that I'm a friend with in North Carolina. Matter of fact, they came up here in uh, July, last July, and uh, they helped us out with Pound All Day. And it was great. It was about a team of six or seven of them, I believe. And it was just awesome. 
to hang out with them. And we were talking about how do we develop a relationship. And we said, man, we're going to pray for each other. He sent me a text today. He said, man, I had two members had a heart attack overnight. I had two go down with COVID. One's not going to survive or maybe 50% chance of living through the day. And I got to go preach this morning. He said, will you pray for us? I said, of course I will. And you say, well, what does prayer from Vermont do to people in North Carolina? Well, again, that dimension that we operate in, that, that supernatural, uh, has no, no space limits. <laughs> so that prayer that we're offering up is, is, is God working in us and also working in that situation, those people. So, of course, I'll pray for you. It's the same thing I'll say to each and every one of you, and I pray you'll say the same for me. We say prayer flippantly as if, oh, man, I'll pray for you as if that's going to be the last thing that we do before we go to bed, and, and maybe it'll be just enough to cover. And Paul's saying, pray at all times in the Spirit of God, knowing that that is what's going to change situations. That is what's going to transform lives. That's what's going to move mountains. We had a discussion on homelessness and dependency, and we're talking about, oh, we can't do that because they, someone else owns that. And my wife made a great point, not just to prop up my wife, but it's just the point everyone should make, is God, th- th- that person doesn't own anything. God owns that. And if we want to see change in our community, we have to realize we're not fighting against landowners and against people. We're fighting against the powers that hold this place captive. And I'm not sitting still waiting for people to be who are captives to not be set free. We are praying at all times in the spirit saying, God, move us where you are already moving so that we can see transformation there. So we can see people freed there. So we see them not as enemies, but as brothers and sisters that are captive that need to be set free. And we're not waiting. We're moving at all times in perseverance, not wait, not, not wilting when it gets hard. Not saying this is too big for me. Not saying this is, this is too much for our church to chew on, but say that it is no problem big enough that God cannot solve. There is nothing that he is giving us that he is not going to give us the strength to push through. And then we're going to have to constantly call and rely on that to fight, to fight, and to fight against it and to for it. We have to ensure that as we fight the enemy, we fight as one. That's been the one thing that's been beat over my head. I'm going to close with it in just a minute. We're going to fight as one, shield to shield, shoulder to shoulder, drawing on the strength of Christ, fighting to the end together. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a seeker, and that means someone who is, maybe you've heard about Christ, we talked about truth as a person. Maybe you've heard about Christ and you kind of know about Jesus, but knowing about somebody and then getting into a relationship with him is two different things, right? You can know me, and we may have met a few times and had a great conversation, right? Uh, but you don't trust me, willingly so. You have to know me <laughs> to get to know me, to trust me that I'm going to look out for you and vice versa. We have to trust Jesus, and that's a personal relationship. And so if you're seeking this morning, and you're listening to these things about powers, and you're talking about, I don't believe all that supernatural spiritual mojo, you know, well, the mumbo jumbo junk, and I don't know about all this, I want to encourage you, one, look around in your life and see where your struggles are and begin to look past the person, the people that are in front of you in those struggles. Because I'll guarantee you, if you look hard enough, and not you have to look hard, if you just look with, with careful eyes, you're going to see people who, who don't just aren't flippantly mean. They're influenced by things, situations, circumstances, powers, we would say, that are, that are driving into that end. And so if you're thinking, man, all I see and touch and feel is what's real, I want to encourage you to lean in and continue to step in and listen to the conversations that we have. And I, I don't push anybody to 
make this decision lightly. I want you to examine all the evidence. I want you to look at the facts. I want you to look at reality. And I want you to, to hear the words of Jesus. And I want you to, to at least let it sit in you for, for a while anyway. And see what they say. Now, if you've been doing that, and maybe you're on the fence, and now you're a little closer. You're like, all right, now I'm, now I'm feeling like there's, there, I, I got this. I'm feeling this. This is, this is what is reality to me. And you're realizing that, man, I've been on the outside of Christ, and I've been captive to these things that I didn't understand. That, I, that, that, that now that it's put this way, I kind of feel like, man, that's, that's, I've been struggling. And I kind of put a name in a, in a place of this struggle. And I know in Christ that he has set me free from those things that he has released me from those things. And not only will I have life eternal, meaning I'll live forever in heaven with him uh, once this world is over or once I die, but just as importantly, I have life now that isn't captive to powers, but has authority over them to fight against them and not lose every day, but win. And so if that's you and you want to respond to that call, that that's, that's God working in our hearts. That happens to, it happens to happen to each and every one of us. And you're ready to respond to that and say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out. I'm going to trust you. Based on the evidence, based on the facts, based on what I've seen and heard, I believe you to be truth. And I'm going to trust that you are the truth. I'm going to respond to that in my life by entering into a relationship with you, Jesus. If you're ready to do that, we're going to give you the opportunity to in just a minute. For believers, as we close, there's one thing this series has taught me. And there was a lot. This is really, this whole journey through Ephesians has been so good for me. I'm so glad we're doing it as a men's group. If you're not a men's group, feel free to jump in with us anytime. We do it every Wednesday at six. We've been going through the book of Ephesians together. The one thing this thing has taught me is the words like new humanity or new creation or power or love or prayer and unity shouldn't be words we just say. They should be, if we want to see any effect of change in our lives, they should be things that we do together. Together. See, living whole means living unified together in ways I'm still wrestling with. Everything within me wants to keep the status quo. Everything in me wants to say, just read your Bible occasionally, right? Just pray whenever you can. Come to church on a Sunday for an hour and help others, you know, and, and when you have time to do that. And that's, what I, that's the easy things to do. And that's what I want to say, man, I just want to encourage people to do that, right? But every word in this letter has, has jumped off the page and like slapped me across the face and said this, that's not enough. Reading the Bible occasionally by yourself, praying when you have a minute to do so, coming to church on Sunday, helping others out when you can, when you've got a moment to do that is not what we're called to do. That isn't enough. Now, that's the beginning. I, I, don't, want, I don't want to push people away and say, well, I can't go. I just wait. I, I'm barely swimming, you know, doggy paddle style in the, in, the deep, in, the, in the shallow end of the pool. Don't drag me deeper than I can go. But there is a deep end. And the deep end looks like this church in Ephesus. It looks like what Paul is writing about. Because if we don't, we're still living in a way that lets us get picked off by the enemy. If we're live, living in a way that's, that we're still a little bit of space in between us. If there's a little bit of gap between my family and yours, where there's a little bit of offense held, where there's a little bit of unforgiveness there, where there's a little bit of, of, of big concerns or petty concerns that force us to stand apart a little bit from one another, then we're going to get picked off homelessness, addiction, substance abuse, 
dependency, all these things in our community don't change if we're not unified. And I don't just mean on the same page. I mean ready to fight for one another, to put down the things that hold us against one another and to say, I'm not leaving you. I'm standing right here side by side and we're going to work through whatever we got going on because I know if I, if I, if I move, my shield, leaves you, my shield moving over leaves you exposed. And I'm not going to leave you exposed. I'm going to stand so close to you that nothing's going to get through. And you're going to do the same for me. That's what church looks like. That's what the body of Christ altogether wearing the armor of God looks like. That's what we're called to do. I pray that we do as Paul charged that church in Ephesus to stand together, to take up arms together, to form the battle line, to realize we're all in this fight together and to see victory not only in individual lives but in our lives corporately and in this community, shield to shield, shoulder to shoulder, all in together. Let's pray this morning. Today's wrapping up, and if you're one of those people who are, again, someone who knows Jesus, <clears throat> but doesn't have that, that personal, sad as you just personal, you don't have that relationship with him, you haven't trusted in him fully with everything in your life, because that's what it requires. I want to encourage you, if you're ready today to do that, to take that step. to commit to him and to this church, really, to this body, these people that are you fight, you're going to hopefully fight with, uh, fight alongside, day by day. And if that's you and you're ready to do that, then how you do it is by prayer, which prayer is just a conversation with God. It's, there's no magic words. There's no special things. It's, it's not anything other than a conversation with a God who, guess what, is listening. He's listening right now. And you have to take my word for it. You quiet yourself enough, you can. You can. I've, I've heard the word of God. And so today, if you're gonna, ready to trust him, how you do this, you pray, you say, dear Jesus, first, I'm sorry. First, I'm sorry, Lord. I, I need God to be forgiven by you because I've lived outside of you I've done things that I'm not proud of. I've done things maybe that I have been proud of in the past, but I realize now, man, that is not how I'm supposed to be living. And I've been struggling. Man, I've been struggling with so many things. And today I hear that the real enemy isn't my spouse, isn't my kids, isn't my job, isn't my, my community, or people who think differently than I do. But God, there's been something that's been holding me captive that I can't explain. But I trust that you have the victory over it. And God, I put my trust in you, that you are going to have the victory in my life, that you're going to strengthen me to fight against those things in my life that have been beating me down. And that today I commit to you and I commit to, to those around me that I'm going to fight alongside, not be alone, but be with them, winning battles instead of losing. Now, if that's you this morning and you prayed that prayer, you made that decision to trust, then I will want to encourage you to find me or find 
Uh, Leo's up here up front. He'll, he'll gladly help you, walk you through it, talk you through what happens. Because that isn't the end. That's, again, the beginning. All right? We'll keep going on that journey together. So find us before you leave online. Like or love a comment or a post. We're going to follow up with you as well. For believers and everyone else, though, as we close, let's focus on this. Dear Lord, God, I pray that, Lord, there is no one here that doesn't leave. God, without reflecting on saying, man, am I shoulder to shoulder? Am I shield to shield? Am I willing to fight not against someone in this room, but for them? Even though we might not agree on everything, even though we might not have everything in line with one another, but knowing that there's captives, God, in this community that need a unified force, a unified people of Jesus who are willing to fight for them, who are willing to see the powers, Lord, broke down and, and see homelessness fixed, to see poverty changed, to see addiction broken, God, to see us, Lord, who are dealing with struggles in our lives, to begin to have more victories than losses, Lord. God, call your people, call us, God, to that unity, to get that togetherness, God, that, that strength that comes from you, Father, to stand strong, to be in the fight, and to fight hard alongside one another, to see you come here, to see this community transformed by the power of the gospel, by the strength of God. God, let us do that. Let us practice it today as we eat, Lord. God, I pray for those who are here today and as we get ready to close, Lord, you bless this food. The hands that have prepared it, Lord, all, everybody who entered into this, that as we break bread, that we gain another level of intimacy together, that as we share food, it's not just about eating together, it's about coming closer as a family of God. Lord, use this as a moment to catalyze us, to, to coalesce us around your strength, your power, your love, and your wisdom so that we can love each other better. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you so much online. We're going to do some, a couple of songs and we're going to eat together here today. But online, thank you for being with us this morning and for jumping in with us. Make sure you check in with us next week. We start a whole new series next week. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to it because it's going to be something different. We're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're going back to the Exodus, actually. So I'm really excited about doing that with you guys. Can I wait? So make sure you're checking us out next week or next Thursday for prayer meeting at 630 on Facebook. Uh, anytime you want to see us, we'll see you. All right. Take care. God bless.